think sometimes higher ed can over index on debates and, you know, um, going back and forth on an issue, which I think can in the workplace can cause some swirl, right? So I think the more we can start thinking about how do you take, you know, kind of the content that we're learning and those concepts and move them into action, I think is what's what would be important. Welcome to Innovating Together, a podcast produced by the University Innovation Alliance. This is the podcast for busy people in higher education who are looking for the best ideas, inspiration, and leaders to help you improve student success. I'm your host, Bridget Burns. You're about to watch another episode of Start the Week with Wisdom, which for those of you who are at home, if you have not seen this before, these are weekly episodes where we conduct an interview with a sitting college president or chancellor, and we want to talk to them about how they're navigating the challenge of this moment. We're in a really unique time, and we want to focus on their leadership and unpack how they are making decisions, how they are navigating, and hopefully it will leave you with a sense of optimism, a bit inspired, and give you a bit of hope. Welcome today to uh, Maria Flynn, who's president and CEO of Jobs for the Future, which is a national nonprofit organization that tries to drive transformation in that space uh, around higher education and and between higher education and the workforce. And uh, Maria is joining us today, uh, despite the fact that their her big, her organization's big conference starts tomorrow, and she's in uh, probably that pre-conference frenzy. So thanks for being here. Welcome. Great. Hi, Bridget. Hi, Doug. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. It would be, uh, we would normally be seeing you at some conference or possibly if you were having one in person, but we're delighted this is the week of Horizons. For, yeah. So for folks at home, if you want, um, I believe it's free and you could still register free. and it starts tomorrow. So you should take a look. Last year was, I thought, the best uh, conference that was held in the virtual world. So I can't wait to see what you guys do this year. Um, so I wanted to start off though, uh, now he, Doug gave a little bit of a taste, but for, for like the person on the street, um, who's just not really sure what this means. Uh, when do they call you? When when does JFF, like, I, that's the organization I should reach out to? Yeah, so as Doug said, we work to drive transformation in the U.S. education and workforce systems. And I like to say that we sit at the intersection between workforce and education and policy and practice. So foundations call us uh, when they are looking for a nonprofit to lead um, or manage major initiatives. Um, the federal government uh, calls us uh, to do work on issues of, like apprenticeship and career and technical education. And then increasingly corporations are coming to us to help them implement worker-centered policies and really help them become what we call impact employers. Uh, we also work directly with a lot of higher ed institutions, both two-year and four-year, and some of the more kind of non-traditional or newer providers as well. So we have a, a large kind of diverse client base. So, and, and sitting in that, I mean, that's a that's a, a very active space, um, a lot of activity. It also is very unstructured. And I'm curious how you look at sort of whose job it is, whose role it is, and, and I'm guessing it's it's not it's obviously not any one organizations, but like how do you assess that overall landscape? What who who's there's a there's often a lot of miscommunication between higher education and employers, or, or how, how do you assess the sort of current status of the space? It's obviously never been more important than it is now. Yeah, I think it. As you said, I think it's 
increasingly important and I think it is changing really rapidly. Um, when I think about kind of the learning to work ecosystem, I define it pretty broadly um, to include, you know, folks like um, philanthropy, corporations, government research organizations, you know, startups, VCs. So I think we have so many players, uh, especially in the past five years who are focused in on this space. And what we try to be at JFF is to kind of be the big tent, you know, or the convener that can bring those different stakeholders and partners together. Because I think what I have found over time, and I found myself guilty of this, you know, myself over the years of, you know, people get a little too insular, right? And kind of talk to the folks who are just in their kind of corner of the ecosystem. And I think in order for us to get the type of impact and transformation that we want to see, we need to start connecting these dots in different ways. So I'm curious about, uh, Doug's right, This is there couldn't be a more uh, like relevant topic right now. Everyone's talking about this. And the piece that I want to, I want to ask you about is about the skills that, you know, there's there's separate, there's first there's conversation around workforce and skills and readiness. And then there's this separate conversation about the value of higher ed. And often I think they can get conflated. And I'm just wondering if you're speaking to a lot of higher ed administrators and leaders, what skills do you think the workforce needs that higher ed is not really, it's like are underappreciated by the workforce or that we're not spending enough energy um, really focusing on? That's a good question. The one that comes to mind is I think I would characterize maybe as decisiveness or confidence, or it's almost that kind of um, those leadership qualities. You know, I find that I think higher ed does a great job around critical thinking and problem solving. But I find, you know, how do we, you know, prepare folks really to be decisive leaders, you know, how to help them you know, quickly assess information, make a decision and move forward. I think sometimes higher ed can over index on debate and, you know, going back and forth on an issue, which I think can in the workplace can cause some swirl, right? So I think the more we can start thinking about how do you take, you know, kind of the content that we're learning and those concepts and move them into action, I think is what's what would be important. That's, that's really interesting because I'm not sure I hear a lot of conversation about that. Um, we obviously see a lot of colleges starting entrepreneurship programs and things like that, which, which, which might have a component of that, but that's, a, that's not exactly a, a match with what you're talking about. And that's, that's an interesting, I'm curious if you think there are clear ways for that skill to be taught or more appropriately learned. Yeah, it might just come down to like more applied learning, right? So how are you taking concepts and putting them into practice? And so I think that's where, you know, connections to work-based learning, internships, apprenticeship become important. I think more broadly, like maybe backing up like one level, like one thing that I don't know what you, curious what you two feel, but I feel like every year we see a new study that says, you know, these are the five or 10, you know, soft skills or employability skills that employers look look are looking for. And I feel like the decades that, you know, I've been working in this space, it seems those lists don't change very much, right? And so I wonder if sometimes, you know, are we asking the wrong question? You know, so I often think maybe it's not asking the question of what are the skills? Because I think we by and large know what they are. Um, is it more like how do we teach and assess those skills? I don't know. I'm sure you've, you've covered a lot of that surveys, I'm sure. 
No, and I think that's a really good question. And, and you know, part of it is, you know, one of the, the other things I was interested to hear you talk about, because you are so clearly talking to sort of, to the extent that there are sides, and I don't like talking about them as sides, but they're often positioned that way. You know, there is this meme that higher ed isn't producing people with the right, quote, skills, knowledge, whatever you want to say. And I, I've actually heard less of that in the last couple of years than I had I think, which I think is heartening. But one of the big questions is, is is it that the people truly don't have them or is it that they're not well, they don't know how to talk about it and they don't know how to, they don't know that they have them. I mean, that, that's one of the big yeah. questions to me. And I think a big, a big lift is arming graduates with helping them know what they're getting <laughs> and then being able to talk about it. Again, I don't know that that's all of it by any means. I doubt it is, but it's at least part of it. It's, Definitely a missing part. Sorry to jump in, but like that's exactly what we found is that there was just no intentionality at institutions around this particular piece. Like people are, are writing off higher ed and they're missing that it was just that we had never taken seriously that transition between college and career. We had created an office and just been like, okay, box checked. Now let's move on to the next thing because there's just so many things. And that's absolutely essential. We had to take it seriously. And um, what we found is that we needed to equip institutions where to have career ready career readiness or career services professionals kind of repurposed as instructional designers to coach faculty to integrate NACE competency language in the classroom in every single class that's the thing that has been missing and um sorry uh, maria i just stole that question from you so i <laughs> <laughs> but if you have anything she like turned that, it back to us so you want to be like that's right <laughs> <laughs> i disagree <laughs> Um, well, anyway, uh, I, I did want to shift uh, after stealing that question. So again, if you want to answer it, I want to do give you a chance. So um, I've <laughs> broken protocol there. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, well, uh, I wanted to just chat a bit about you. Um, so you've been at JFF for a long time and you have, um, it's one of the organizations I really admire in terms of you've not been, you've not just been able to have impact and to do the work, but you have really figured out how to scale in a way that I just don't see a lot of nonprofits that are purpose-driven, especially in this space. Um, you know, it's just really, that's a lot to take on. And um, I'm just curious if you could share what has been most useful to you in scaling JFF into this massive organization that's having a somewhat of a global impact. I mean, I, I know that, like, I just feel like it's really setting an impression that is beyond the United States in terms of the kind of work that needs to be done. Right, so one, you know, I think, when I so I worked at JFF um, as a member of the leadership team there for about nine years before I became CEO. And when I became CEO almost five years ago, I really felt that in order for us to scale and really have the impact that we wanted to have, we needed to make ourselves, you know, kind of relevant to this moment and to the moments uh, in the future. And I so we have really set off on a pretty um, extensive transformation journey. Uh, but I think to your que specific question, I think the things that have helped us is one, you know, really looking at, you know, what are the skills and competencies that we need um, on our team in order to meet the needs of the companies and the institutions that are coming for us to help, right? So really looking at like, how do we do that? The second is, you know, raising the money and investing in the systems that we need to operate at scale. And so we've gone, you know, from 
a group of us, you know, relatively small group of us all located in Boston together to, you know, I think of us over 200 people now across the country working together. And so just operating an organization um, that is so different than it was just a few years ago has, you know, required a lot of kind of different ways of we think how we think about our operations and how we fund that. And then, you know, it's also, you know, I think that this is an issue among nonprofits in general. One is how to emphasize uh, the importance of unrestricted or flexible dollars, right, that go beyond, you know, restricted program grants. Um, and also really looking at, you know, to me, I know there's a lot of debate around whether nonprofits should operate like a business or not. But I actually, you know, I'm in the camp that like you need to think of it as building and scaling, you know, an operation, an organization, and that you need to, obviously, the work itself is the heart of the organization, but you have to be intentional about how do you operate in the market? How are you meeting the needs of your customers? How are you kind of setting your own um, tune and not just kind of meeting the needs of funders? So I think there's a lot of delicate uh dances in there to uh, figure out as a nonprofit. But it's been an exciting you know, couple of years, and I think we're really well positioned right now for the next couple of years ahead. It certainly looks like it. Um, I know that many of us who run organizations, smaller organizations look up to JFF as kind of like the exemplar of how to do it right. So very cool. What has been the biggest challenges in, in as, a, as sort of as a leader in, you know, uh, those last couple of years, putting aside the obvious challenges of, say, a pandemic and things like that. But in terms of, um, you know, in terms of that scaling, it sounds like you've gone from, you know, you've changed not only in size, but also in in how you work. What have been some of the what have been some of the biggest challenges and how have you met them? One is, you know, we launched JFF Labs about three years ago, which is kind of our kind of market facing arm. Um, or our kind of innovation engine, so to speak. And so I would say that it was an opportunity though and a challenge because I think a challenge in the sense that we began working with a whole kind of array of new clients. We brought in um, kind of different types of, um, you know, leaders that were kind of new to, to JFF or the education and workforce space uh, in general. Uh, I think it was the right move to make at that time as I felt that going into the, pandemic last year, if we hadn't made some of those shifts, I think, you know, as an organization, we would have been caught flat footed, right? So like being able to move more into, you know, looking at technology driven solutions, looking at impact investing, looking at the work of corporations more specifically. So I think just um, kind of adding on that type of new approach to a legacy organization is certainly a, a challenge that had to be, to be uh, navigated. And then, you know, I think like all of us, you know, I think you know, operating, you know, a national nonprofit in this space, you know, during, um, you know, the Trump administration was challenging as well. Right. So I think, again, like a lot of a lot of careful decisions to be made, especially because of the fact that we do, um, you know, gov federal government work is a core piece of our business. So a lot of a lot of navigational issues there. I'm uh, curious about your career. I know um, I just want to, you know, could you share what has been the most surprising aspect to you? I mean, where you are now and just I'm just interesting to reflect back. Yeah, I think, you know, overall, like I, I just feel that I have been 
just extremely fortunate. So before I was at uh, JFF, I was at the U.S. Department of Labor for the first half of my career um, and was able to work uh, under three administrations. So the last part of Bush one, all of Clinton and seven of the eight years of, of Bush two. Right. So really. And I think that's why I, you know, do really see the power of being able to work across the aisle on these issues. Right. So I think just that experience of working on, you know, what I felt really key initiatives across those um, administrations from school to work back in the 90s or the Wired initiative during the Bush uh, two administration. And then being able then at JFF also just to, you know, kind of see a number of, you know, initiatives that had great impact, you know, and the role that JFF was able to play in them. I think what surprises me though, um, is just like how hard some of these like foundational rocks are to move, you know, within the system, right? And so I think, you know, a lot of the change that we have seen is, you know, kind of around the, the borders, I would say. But, you know, and I think it's true for higher ed. I think it's true for more traditional workforce development. There are just some of those core central issues that, you know, I think have de for decades have seen insurmountable. I think, or I'm hopeful that we're at a moment in time where some of those things can be questioned more fundamentally. But, you know, I'd be curious what you two think. Like, do you think we're at a moment or do you think that like now with the reopening, people are like, well, we'll just go back to doing what we were doing. I mean, I do feel like there is this appetite for change, but it's also uh, people are overwhelmed and exhausted from change. So it's like a, it's like a two edge. Uh, it, 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 that's part of the issue is that I'm like, I think more is possible now than ever before. I also think that people are so exhausted and tired right now. It's like, we, we know now that we could do it, but we're just like, can you just give me like a six months? I should have cover, you know? So um, yeah, I don't know if that's a good answer. What about you, Doug? Well, well, I just, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm more spend more time on the sort of, again, higher ed side of this, of this equation. And I have, I've been asking that question a lot about whether the higher education institutions have been given a, a bridge through, you know, record investment by the federal government right now that again, desperately needed to help a lot of institutions not necessarily survive, although for some, and I think the question is, does the, does the momentum that had been accumulated and the sort of muscle building of, oh, we can, we can do new stuff, we can try new things, does the higher ed mostly changes when it has to, like a lot of organizations, and yeah. to the extent that the federal money relieves the pressure, I'm a little worried that the, the compulsion to change may ease enough that, that some of the some of the hardest things and and when you talk about the structural things that are hard to move part of it is i think we you know those foundational things pretty a lot of the answers are fairly clear and yet we don't have a ton of structures in place i mean you talked about the labor department you know the 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 differences between what's on the labor side versus the education side in the federal government and elsewhere yeah. i mean of all that probably is something you've spent a few restless nights thinking about but it's <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to have the structures to move the to move things i hope so because i you know i think you know just looking at congressional committee jurisdiction right like as you're saying like department you know turf like i think that's where things really tend to get 
bogged down, but hopefully we'll see some, some big changes. Well, we know that you have uh, a, a big conference to run, so we will wrap in just a second, but we'll, we'll end with two kind of rapid fire questions um, about advice. Uh, I always find this so interesting. I selfishly get a lot out of this. <laughs> like, What's been the advice that someone else has given you that has been really most useful to you in your career? And then separately, when people are thinking about leadership, um, I'm going to ask you what advice you most often give them that's from you. Yeah, I would say uh, the most um, helpful advice I received was just the importance of being an authentic leader. Uh, and I remember years ago, um, there was someone who uh, was trying to like give me advice and they said, you know, you should be more like me. And I'm thinking like, I don't want to be like <laughs> I don't really want to be like you. Like I want to be like me. And I think that that's just a key to leadership is being, you know, authentic to who you are. Right. And, and lead from that place. And then you build teams around yourself to complement your skills. So I think just the power of, of authenticity, I think is really um, important. And, you know, advice I give others, one is, uh, and I think that this is particularly true for, for women, but maybe, probably broader is just, you know, being okay with making the unpopular decision, right? So being okay with not being loved by everyone, right? Making decisions that are, um, uh, you know, either not going to go well with, you know, your organization or maybe externally. And I think just the importance of being able to stand uh, in those decisions is key. And I would also say, you know, I think um, sometimes leadership can be uh, lonely. And so developing just a network of peers, you know, that you can talk with as the challenges, you know, ebb and flow, I think is, is key as well. Great. Well, I think that's great advice to give anyone. So thanks so much for spending this time with us and great. Good luck to you and your team at this conference. I hope, you know, back in the day when we would be in person, um, you put together this big event and then afterward you try and, you know, have a little come together or like, a, you know, let's all go and, uh, you know, meet down in the lobby, but, you know, re rejuvenate. But it's like, I mean, nobody wants to be on Zoom after that long. So I it's know. really hard I to know. figure that out. <laughs> I know, but I hope folks will tune in to Horizons. It is free. Um, we're going to have both live sessions as well as a pretty extensive on-demand library of content. So I hope folks check it out and hopefully I'll be able to see both of you in person soon. Yes. For folks at home, uh, you just need to look up JFF, Jobs of the Future, Horizons. If you type in Horizons, I think it's one of the first things that pops up. It's tomorrow starting and then it's for the rest of the week or no, it's two days. Two days. Two days. Yeah. We have three cabinet secretaries. We have Governor Kasich and we've got uh, a lot of corporate leaders, philanthropic leaders. So hope folks will join us. And me. And, and Doug, so, you know, like, definitely have to come. Star of the show. Star <laughs> of the show. <laughs> All right, well, get your tickets Get your tickets while you can. I hear Doug Letterman's going to be there. Uh, well, thank you so much, Maria. As always, it's always such a delight to speak with you. I always find you to be so just like, I mean, I think you really did take the authenticity advice very seriously. You've always been very refreshing and just calm and, like, uh, just very chill. <laughs> whenever I talk to you. So I always appreciate that in leaders because it's a rare quality. So um, for those of you at home, uh, we will see you uh, the same time as always next Monday. Uh, we actually have the chancellor of uh, UC Davis and uh, if, hot tip, the way he got, 
I, he became on my radar because he had like the funniest tweet ever uh, where he was dressed as the Mandalorian and his last name, his name is May. And so he said, this is the May. And anyway, so apparently like a meme or just like a, a pun is that's enough for me. So awesome. uh, can't, wait to, can't wait to talk about it. Oh, and I want to say, Bridget, congratulations on your impact report. Oh, thank you. I read it last week. It's awesome. So everyone check that out too. Oh, it's really impressive. I appreciate it. So, <laughs> thanks. And uh, Doug, everyone's going to come to your thing too. So <laughs> all right. Take care. Everybody, it's been a wonderful Bye. week and we hope this gave you a little bit of positivity and we will see you next week.